as I've been thinking through this Jesus series and I've been reading the Gospels, I was struck as I was reading John how often the phrase eternal life shows up. How often Jesus says eternal life. Um, in the New Testament, if you just did a kind of cold, hard word search, in the New Testament, the phrase eternal life shows up 45 times. If you compare that to something like hell, hell shows up 17 times. And those are a little bit, probably 14 for sure, 17 maybe, right? Um, so the eternal life is showing up, what, two times, three times more often than something like hell, which is also an important doctrine, right? These are both important doctrines. But I bring this up just to point out how central, how important this phrase, eternal life, is to the message of the New Testament, and especially the message of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John. And so I want to give you some of these texts. I'm just going to just follow along and let the power of these words sit with you for a minute. John 3.16, you know this one. For God so loved the world, he so loved the world, that he gave his only son, which as a parent has new meaning, the idea of sacrificing Emery for any one of you. I just, I don't like any of you that much. <laughs> right? That whoever believes in him would not die, but would have eternal life. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. You know this story. She comes to the well. She's, she's at this, this well, and you've got to go to this fixed area outside of town to, to kind of get the water that you need for the day because there's no plumbing, right? So, there's, so you, the, there's this fixed pool of water, and it would be relatively stagnant except for the fact that it's constantly being used. And she comes there, and Jesus says to her in John 4, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but the water that I give, that I give, becomes a spring, right? not a well, not a stagnant pool. It is a spring that is going to be in this person and it wells up and it bubbles up and it boils over to eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter six, this is after he's fed 5,000 people and the people have, they've, they've, they've sought him out. Um, he's walked on water, crossed the lake and they've, they've, they've walked around the lake to find him. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 10, Jesus is using this pastoral image, this image of, of sheep and gathering sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I call, I call to my people. And my people know my voice. Like your dog knows your voice, like your child knows your voice. That I was in the, uh, the office and I heard Cheryl Smith, who is the birthday girl today, uh, I heard her out in the hall and I knew her voice. I was like, oh, that's Cheryl, right? Because I, you know the voice, right? Jesus speaks and the sheep that know him, the sheep that actually hear him, they know him and they follow him. They don't deviate to the left. They don't deviate to the right. They don't walk on their own. They follow him. And Jesus says, I give to those ones eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them from my hand. No one can take you from God's hand. And the eternal life that he promises is just that, eternal, promised. 
John 17, 3. This is, um, there we go. This is uh, Jesus praying before he dies. So it's kind of important, right? You get that? He's on his knees and he's praying and he's praying for his people. He is praying for you. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, me, as he says, whom you have sent. So this theme of the eternal life kind of matters, right? That's, that's my point here. It matters. There is a promise that Jesus is giving his people, a promise of such unlimited and, and literally unlimited hope and deep conviction. And if I get to do anything successfully here today, aside from just reading scripture, because that's the most powerful thing we can do, it would be this, that I could convince you to fix your everything on eternal life. Because I think that's our biggest problem. That's our biggest problem. Because we've got World War III coming up, right? You saw the news, right? And uh, what I've noticed in these message boards I belong to, full of um, Church of Christ, Christian church people and ministers and things like this, they're all talking about and validating the dropping of a nuclear bomb, a nuclear bomb to kill one guy, millions of people, millions of people. And the only thing that Christians can argue about is whether or not we should do it or not. What's somebody who's fixated on eternal life doing? They're saying, we need to pray because the only thing that's going to solve this is that this dictator, this evil person, meets Jesus. This insanity down south. I went to church with people. I went to church with people, good church-going folk who honestly believe, they honestly believe that because their skin is white and somebody else's skin is a different color, they are better. They believe it. They told me. I preach from the pulpit. This is not true. I can show you in Scripture how this is not true. And I can't change their minds. Why? Do you think your skin color? Do you think a country? Do you think if you're a legal or illegal immigrant, it means anything to God? But we are so in the present. We are so here. We are so fixated on our needs and our life right here, and there is no thought to eternity. And because there's no thought to eternity, we can't live properly here now either. Cycle through my newsfeed. I do this every every morning, and it's a terrible habit. <laughs> it's a terrible. It's like waking up to NPR and fifty more people died, and you know. And Chris Pratt, oh beloved Chris Pratt, and his wife. You might not know who they are. It doesn't matter. Um, he's a Hollywood star, and and he's uh, uh, wears Christianity on his sleeve, which I love. I love that. That's great. 
He and his wife are getting a divorce. And this is the headline. We tried really hard. I would cuss, but we're in church. Don't come at me with that. You didn't try really hard. You stopped trying really hard. I try really hard every day. I can tell you, Laura tries really hard every day. That's how you make it. Because my eyes are not fixed on what I need right here and right now. My eyes are fixed on God's calling to eternal life. And that's how we go. That's how the sheep hear his voice. And that's how, that's how these things work. This is how the Christian stands in direct, defiant contrast to the non-Christian who is thinking with every other part of their body except for the spirit which the Christian has been given by the grace of God, unmerited, unwarranted, but given so that he or she might bear out the life of God to a world that is dying and we are failing. I am failing. Give me pagans. Just God, give me pagans. I love pagans. I love them. There is no pretense, right? No pretense. And uh, we are just full of pretense. And I think that's the problem. I think, I think if we sort of want we, we to, could, we could cut off limbs but, but never get to the root of the issue. And I've been thinking and thinking and thinking about this. Jesus says over and over again, it's like this, like eventually, you know, they're going to be like, okay, Jesus, we got it, it's eternal life, move on, right? But every chapter, every new instance, Jesus talks to this woman at the well, and he talks about eternal life, and, and these people, they, they come after him for bread, and he's like, I'm the bread of life, and, and the, 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 the people who are, who, they're experiencing this shepherd and pastoral life, he says, I am the, I am the gate, I am the door, I, I am the, I'm the shepherd, I, I laid on my life for the sheep, and I give them eternal life, and yes, Jesus, we get it, we get it, we get it, and yet still they don't. Yet still we don't. How does eternal life change Tuesday morning? How does eternal life change Sunday afternoon? How does eternal life, which is so central to Jesus and his message, how does it change us, form us into something beautiful and good? Jesus says this. He says, do not work for food that perishes. This, is, this comes after the, on the heels of, of that instance that I was just telling you about. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Free lunch for 5,000 people. How many of you like a free lunch? Who wants to give me a free lunch? I'm just kidding. Free lunch is great. And the people love it. So much so. So Jesus is, he's, remember, he's, he's on the boat and he's teaching and, and, and you know, the, he, he, gives, he gives them all, he does this, this, this miracle, he feeds them all, he feeds the 5,000 people and he says to the disciples, hey, let's, let's cross over. <laughs> I'm tired of these folks. <laughs> let's cross over to the other side. And they get in the boat and they, they, they go to the other side and Jesus says, well, I'll join you later and he walks on the water, right? Remember, Jesus walks on the water and that whole, that whole. they get to the other side and the people have followed him. They spent the night walking around this lake. They got up early in the morning to walk around this lake because when you know somebody's the free lunch ticket, what do you do? Somebody, who was that? Peggy. Non-pretentious Peggy. She's like, I, 
free lunch. I'm there. We got it. it was, I'm Peggy and I, we, we get this. Glad somebody's paying attention. Thank you. Yes, right? And so this is what they've done. They've, they've, they've traveled. They've, they've worked. Not only have they worked for that, but we all work, right? I mean, if you've got a job, you work for your food. You, you work for sausage. You work for the... And you eat it, and it's gone, right? You buy it, and it's broken, or it will break, right? Everything is moth food. You get that, right? All your clothes are going to be out of style in a year anyway. Everything breaking down. He says, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For God the Father has set his seal on him. We've worked for so many things. We spend our creative energy on so many things. And literally, the only thing that you are taking with you, the only thing that you are taking with you is the fruit of the Spirit that you have cultivated in your life and how much love you have poured into other people. When I preach over your dead body, that's all you get to take. At funerals, I'm a coward. At funerals, we're all cowards. Because what we should say over that person is look carefully because we will all be there. And then it's too late. And if you have worked for bread that does not perish, that funeral is not bad news. I have never been to a funeral. And I think the stinets are gone, right, this morning. But the funeral like that, oh, wasn't that gorgeous? Well, Steve's here this morning. All the faith. I mean, that was a moment of sadness and joy kind of wrapped up together. We got to say, we're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. This isn't the end. There's eternal life wrapped up. I love Jesus because he's pushing hard for us to see this truth and to grab a hold of it and to allow it to change and reframe the way that we see the world, the way that we interact with everything. That eternal life somehow changes everything. He's trying to get them to see that. He says, don't work for it. And I love how he makes it even more scandalous. He says this. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. What, Jesus? <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus was the worst megachurch pastor ever. They come for the free, like, he's got the crowd, and he says, forget that crowd, I'm going over here. And they follow him, and he says, stop working for bread, that, stop being focused on the fact that I can give you a free lunch, and, and pour your creative energy into something that is eternal. And then when they still won't go away, because he still hasn't given them the free lunch yet, he says something bonkers like this, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they don't get it. To this day, the Catholic Church doesn't get it. They think that this is going to turn magically into flesh and blood you're actually eating. And Jesus' point is not, it misses the point completely. The point is not that Jesus is going to actually give you a well inside of your guts that's going to spring out with living water. Jesus is not saying, I am a loaf of bread, come and snack on me, or here's my arm, take a bite, right? That's not the point. The point is this. Jesus is the avenue for access to God. And access to God is life. It's life. 
And Jesus is pleading with these people to stop being fixated on their, their, their temporal, physical needs and to fixate rather upon the things that last forever. And if the church could just, if we could just grab a sliver of this, just a sliver of it, how amazing would that be? I shared uh, that um, our greatest enemy, I think, uh, is distractions. And we have to think about eternal things. I shared with you a few weeks ago that, that I, I don't think Satan has to move us a mile off course. I think he has to move us a foot off course. That's a little bit easier, isn't it? And, and I'm not even talking about heaven and hell here. I'm not, I'm not even talking about like a, like anything that drastic. Does, is, is Satan's goal to make sure that every single person goes to hell or does he all does is all that he has to do is just lead one of you far enough away that you're not fruitful and so there is no 30 60 100 fold increase because you're not a fruitful christian all he has to do is distract us that's it my goodness folks i mean we have more travel capacity more free time, more disposable income, and we don't have time for God. We say we don't have time for church. We don't have time for prayer meetings. We don't have time for fellowship. We don't have time for Bible study. Literally, we say, well, man, I just didn't have time. You didn't have time for it? Do you think when you face God, that lie will hold up? It isn't that we don't have time. It's that we don't care is that it really is not a priority. It really is not a priority to fixate upon eternal life. The problem is there. What I shared with you last week, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things. Search your heart. Just for a second here. Search your heart. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. Are those choking you out and making the word unproductive in your life? James comes at his church like a crazy man. There's a letter in the New Testament. The author is James, and he is writing to his church, and I think I have it. Yes, he says, you adulterous people. And we read it flat like that, right? I mean, you adulterous people. You're reading James because, you know, we, we read flatly. You adulterous people. This is not, this is a husband accusing his wife, a wife accusing, you cheated on me. Do you not know that friendship with the world is cheating on God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of the God. Or do you think that it's in the scripture for no reason whatsoever that it says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? That he is jealous for your time. And he is jealous for your attention. 
and he is jealous for your money, and he is jealous for your hobbies, and he is jealous for your family, and he is jealous for you. We sing that song, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I'm the tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Is that true? I mean, I've seen people leave church for less than that. That accuse, that accusation. He just comes at them. Are you a friend of the world? Don't answer that question too, too quickly. Let it sit there for a second. I think it was Mark I was talking with. I, we, were, we were having coffee, and, and I said, I have 15 things to do today, and they're all fun, and they're all interesting, and one of them is God, right? One of them is God. I mean, there's a new series on that. Defenders drops next, next Friday. I mean, how pumped are you about that, right? And some of you know, and right? this is gonna be a fun thing. And one of the things, one of the things is, is God. What does that mean? That means that I am mostly mostly a friend of the world and only fractionally fixated on eternity. I memorized this passage um, when I was first taking Christ uh, seriously. Uh, 1 John 2.17 The world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of God will live forever. The world and its desires, everything, everything is passing away and it is so hard to keep that up front in our minds. It's so hard to keep that up front in our lives. And I, I understand because I, I, I fail at this all the time. It's so hard to do that amidst the distractions, but we have a jealous God. And I think that's really, really, I think it's two things. The first thing is it's amazing and awesome and wonderful, and it's scary is the other. It's amazing and awesome and wonderful because if you've been told, I am not good enough, if you've been told, I am not beautiful enough or smart, if you've been told, if you've been beat down and you've been told you are worthless, God says, that's a lie. I'm jealous for you. Now, I know me better than you know me. And I am nothing to be jealous over. Right? God, the Almighty, if it is jealous, jealous for you. In fact, that's built into the Ten Commandments. The first, the first commandment is, I'm the Lord your God to brush out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of promise, right? You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is this, you shall make no graven image. You shall make no idol. Don't, don't make anything in the image that would, that would supplant God, right? But it ends with this, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. If I give my attention to another woman, bit by bit, by bit, and the time increases, at some point, my wife is going to have a problem with this, right? And if I continue on that path, I will ruin my marriage because she's jealous for me. No idea why, but she is. Must be the beard, right? Uh, that distracted me completely. <laughs> she is jealous for me, right? God is in the same way jealous for us. And at the same time, that's really terrifying. Because, as I said, God is only one of the many things that I'm going to think about and pour my time into today. And if I can just do this one thing, if I can just convince you that you should take that sliver of time that you've given God and you just increase it a little bit. I'm not saying, get, I'm not encouraging you to go home. I'm, I, if you do this, it's fine. But telling you you need to go home and get on your knees and for the next four hours you need to just pray your heart out to God. I mean, it's wonderful if you do that. I'm just saying take what you've given God and give him a bit more. I, I don't know how much you've given him, but give him a bit more. 
a bit more time, a bit more song, a bit more praise, a bit more love, a bit more of yourself. Just give him a bit more. And what he can do with that bit more is he can pour new life. He can make the dead bones live. If you're dried out and you're ready to give up, if you are aching, the answer is this, eternal life. That Jesus can pour into you. It doesn't make the hurts go away. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean times won't be tough. It does mean that while you endure the trial, you are alive and building up and pouring into the promise that Jesus has given you of eternal life. There's this story in John where... um, John's friend Lazarus gets really sick. And uh, his sisters send a message. You know this story? Send a message uh, to Jesus. Say, hey, uh, you're the one you love. Like, I mean, there's a bromance there, (laughs) okay? Jesus and Lazarus, they're texting all the time. Texting all the time. Laura's like, is that, doesn't even have to ask. Yep, it's Danny. That's who he's talking to. That's, that's, oh, Jesus is on his phone again. Must be Lazarus, right? That's That's what's going on. The message comes, he's sick, come and, come and heal him. Because we know this guy, Jesus, and he does cool things like that. And you know what he does? What does he do? Nothing. The sisters pray to Jesus. Jesus, come and heal this. And Jesus sits down and says, let's wait for him to die. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do you see yourself in that story? You pray to God, and Jesus sits and waits for death. And Jesus comes, uh, comes finally three days after, after he dies, and, and Martha comes to him and he says, and she says to him, if you were here, and we read it flat, right? <laughs> okay, Martha says, no, she is a sister who knows Jesus could have healed her brother, and Jesus did not come to heal her brother, and she says, if you were here. If you were here, he wouldn't die. Where were you? And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. You ever lose somebody and they say to you, that's all right, because they'll rise again or they're in heaven or something like that. That's what we call cold comfort, isn't it? Why? Because we don't believe it. This is Jesus' words to comfort her. You will rise again. You've lost your father. He'll rise again. Chuck, you'll rise again, brother. Whatever is eating you up, whatever is beating you down, whatever is killing you, whatever is stealing your life, whatever, whatever it is, I am telling you this. You will rise again. There is no answer to why. The answer is Jesus. You will rise again. 
And as we get sucked into all of the meaningless nonsense that you see across your news feeds or your Facebook or your children or your life or your work, all of that nonsense, you need to say, eternal life's in my view. Eternal life is in my view. Because I will rise again. Jesus says this to her and she answers, quips back with this kind of like, well, yeah, I know it's going to happen at the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. You're not listening to me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, though she die, though they die, Yet shall they live, and everyone who believes in me will not see death. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And for Jesus, belief is not a word that just means do you think it. We've got too many Christians that think it. I need Christians to believe it. I need to believe it. We need to believe it so that when somebody comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this, you say, you'll rise again. And those aren't hollow words. Those aren't cold comforts. That is the promise, and that is the power. What do we fear? What do we fear? She's listening, right? Yeah. If I can convince you of this, it would be that. I want you to take that little bit that you give to God, and I want you to fixate on eternity. I want that eternal life. I want it to do two things. I want it to thrill you. I want it to thrill you, filling you with hope and conviction, and power, filling you with a belief that whatever comes, you can take it. Not on your own, because you have a bunch of other resurrected people around you, right? Pushing forward. And I want it to scare you. I want it to convict you. I want it to say to you, man, I need to give God more. I've given him this much, and this week I need to give him this much. God does this amazing thing when he convicts me. He both crushes and lightens me. I, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like God makes me, just like crushes me to the ground with this realization of, oh, I have blown it. And at the same time, he pours in this immense amount of mercy, which we might call life, that says, you're still my son. Rise walk again I want to end with this passage from Philippians this is Paul reflecting upon his life and I want it when one of you preaches over my dead body to be said I want it to be I want it to be true but whatever gain I had I have counted it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything is lost. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as garbage in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, having not a righteousness of my own that comes through obeying the law, but, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that def- depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. May I share in his sufferings, becoming like him even to death, that I might by any means possible attain eternal life. Make that your prayer this week. Fix your eyes on eternity. Obsess over it. Desire it. Hunger for it. Sing about it. Talk about it. Pray for it. Make it every moment your breath, your will, and your life. And God will give you so much more, including seeing you through the suffering. Let's stand as we sing praises to our God.